high. It's in Philippians chapter 1. It's all of chapter 1. And there's, it's, there's a lot of words. So make yourself comfortable and um, we'll begin. Oh, it's from the message, by the way. Paul and Timothy, both of us committed servants of Christ Jesus, write this letter to all the followers of Jesus in Philippi, pastors and ministers included. We greet you with the grace and peace that comes from God, our Father, and our Master, Jesus Christ. Every time you cross my mind, I break out in exclamations of thanks to God. Each exclamation is a trigger to prayer. I find myself praying for you with a glad heart. I am so pleased that you have continued on this with us continued in this with us, believing and proclaiming God's message from the day you heard it right up to the present. There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep on at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. It's not at all fanciful for me to think in this way about you. My prayers and hopes of deep roots in reality you have, after all, stuck with me all the way from the time I was thrown in jail, put on trial, and came out of it in one piece. All along, you have experienced with me the most generous help from God. He knows how much I love and miss you these days. Sometimes I think I feel as strongly about you as Christ himself does. So this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and you will not only love much, but well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental and gushy. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary, a life Jesus will be proud of, bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. I want to report to you, friends, that my imprisonment, imprisonment here has, been, has had the opposite of its intended effect. Instead of being squelched, the message has actually prospered. All the soldiers here, and everyone else too, found out that I'm in jail because of this Messiah. That piqued their curiosity, and now they've learned all about him. Not only that, but most of the followers of Jesus here have become far more sure of themselves in the faith than ever, speaking out fearlessly about God, about the Messiah. It's true that some here preach Christ because with me out of the way, they think they'll step right into the spotlight. But the, other do, the others do it to the, with the best heart in the world. One group is motivated by pure love, knowing that I'm here defending the message, wanting to help. The others, now that I'm out of the picture, are merely greedy, hoping to get something out of it for themselves. Their motives are bad. They see me as their competition, and so the worse it goes for me, the better, they think, for them. So how am I to respond? I've decided that I really don't care about their motives, whether mixed, bad or indifferent. Every time one of them opens his mouth, Christ is proclaimed. So I just cheer them on. And I'm going to keep that celebration going, because I know how it's going to turn out. 
through your faithful prayers and the generous response of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, everything he wants to do in and through me will be done. I can hardly wait to continue on my course. I don't expect to be embarrassed in the least. On the contrary, everything happening to me in this jail only serves to make Christ more accurately known, regardless of whether I live or die. They didn't shut me up. They gave me a pulpit. Alive, I'm Christ's messenger. Dead, I'm his bounty. Life versus even more life. I can't lose. As long as I'm alive in this body, there is good work for me to do. If I had to choose right now, I hardly know which I'd choose. Hard choice. The desire to break camp here and be with Christ is powerful. Some days I can think of nothing better. But most days, because of what you are doing through... Because... But most days, because of what you are going through, I am sure that it's better for me to stick it out here. So I plan to be around a while, companion to you, as your growth and joy in this life of trusting God continues. You can start looking forward to a great reunion when I come to visit you again. We'll be praising Christ, enjoying each other. Meanwhile, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. Let nothing in your conduct hang on whether I come or not. Your conduct must be the same whether I show up to see things for myself or hear of it from a distance. Stand united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust in the message, the good news, not flinching or dodging in the slightest before the opposition. Your courage and unity will show them what they're up against. Defeat for them, victory for you and both because of God. There's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for him. And the suffering is as much of gift as the trusting. You're involved in the same kind of struggle you saw me go through, on which you are now getting an updated report in this letter. Thank you so much for reading that. And that was, uh, it's great to read God's word um, and to just um, get the heart that Paul had for Christ. But why don't we pray and then um, we'll hear what God has to say to us today. Father, we just do thank you for your precious word and the word that reveals Jesus to us through the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, teach us this morning what it is you want to teach us both corporately and individually we thank you that this is a living word and we thank you um, that your word never returns void that it always has its intended purpose so father we thank you again for this time in jesus name amen so as i was thinking about this message you know philippians is one of my favorite books of the bible it's often been called um paul's happiest letter um, Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament, and it's often been called Paul's happiest letter. And when you, get, when you start reading Philippians, you certainly get this Im- impression. You start feeling Paul's heart uh, for the people that he loved in the churches. And he also shares his heart for Christ, his, his passion for Christ, his love for Christ. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But as I was thinking about this message, I was thinking, how best can I 
um, what, what sort of story or illustration can I, can I bring to you as we, as we kickstart this series? And it just so happened that I was at my parents' house last week and they're moving, so um, they've inherited a lot of family heirlooms over the years, um, things that have been passed down, um, obviously, through the family. And one of these is this rather attractive-looking tin box here that sits here. Um, but you know that every, every family heirloom tells a story, every every family heirloom has a story. Anything that you inherit from a, from a family member, there's, there's significance or value to it. And this is certainly no different. And um, what's interesting is that when I opened the box and my dad showed me, it, it's actually a letter. There's actually a letter inside to explain this story about this tin box from uh, my great-grandfather. Uh, he was called William Edgell. And he was um, the priest in charge. So he was a vicar um, in the islands of the New Hebrides. Now, I had no clue where that was, so I had to go on the maps. And when you, um, down here, Australia, New Zealand, you've got all these different islands, tiny ones. You can hardly see. They're, they're, so, they're so small. Um, but that's where my uh, great-grandfather was. And some of these places, look, they look tiny, don't they? Insignificant, right? But you know what? God calls people to places that many consider insignificant. And that's what happened to my great-grandfather, William. He was the priest in charge, and he would, um, there was lots of tribes, so it was, all, it was all tribal people, different language and, and things. But that's where he went, and he went there to um, share Jesus, uh, to share the gospel. Um, and one of the places that he was at, actually, um, in these islands, was a place called Pentecost. That was the name of one of the little islands, one of the little places and so I went on Google because I was like, what is that place all about? And I want to show you a picture because this island called Pentecost, right? It actually does have something, some claim to fame. And it's called, it's actually known as the spiritual birthplace of bungee jumping, right? And I want to explain why and, and what makes it even more. I was like, wow, I couldn't live there because one of the rites of passage into manhood, right? If you, want, if you want to be recognized as a man, what you have to do is you have to bungee jump off that thing there and you're attached with some vines to your feet, so like vines. And so basically you have to throw yourself off there with nothing but vines um, holding your feet together, right? And you have to appreciate the fact that there's no risk assessments, no safeguarding and no nothing at all ever exists on this island, does it? And there we go. That's the structure that they have to throw themselves off the top, right? And it doesn't really look uh, yeah, very fun. But anyway, that's just a little aside story. But um, my great-grandfather, he used to uh, um, travel around all these places. And I want to share with you the story of this tin box. Um, and this is what happens. Um, and this is a letter that um, my great-grandfather wrote um, to the vicar of St. Matthew's Parish in New Zealand. So he was writing a letter um, to the vicar um, of St. Matthew's Parish in New Zealand. Um, and he was, in this letter, he was saying, thank you so much. So it very much reflects the language of the Apostle Paul. He's thanking um, the people for their gifts, their financial gifts, their offerings. He's reporting on what's going on. Um, and so it very much reflects the heart of, of Paul. But this is what he says um, this is one element of my, my great-grandfather's letter. He said, The bishop of Melanesia was anxious that I should visit the other parts of the diocese before going on leave so as to be able to say something about them. Therefore, on August the 3rd, I left Pentecost in this ship for the north and was away for about three months. On my return to Raga, Pentecost, which I had left in peace, and as I believed and still believe doing well, 
I was met with the news that my headquarters, where the ship had picked me up at the north end, were burned to the ground with all my property. This turned out to be only too true. I went on the shore and I saw the ruins of the church, the schoolhouse, my own house and my cookhouse. Everything willfully burnt down with all the contents except a tin box and my spring bed and mattress. This outrage was the work of a French vessel owned in the New Hebrides. And um, this is the tin box. This is the tin box. And um, one of the things in reading this letter that I have, um, so often we, we pull, you know, man in history hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, whatever. This is almost a, a modern day letter with someone writing with the same heart as Paul. And one of the things I really get a sense of as I read this letter is that this man cared nothing for possessions. He cared nothing for possessions. He cared only for Jesus. And his heart for Jesus, my great-grandfather, really comes through in this. He lost everything. I didn't even know someone could have a cookhouse, but everything gone, everything that you, you work so hard for, your church, the schoolhouse, your own house, your cookhouse, it's all gone. And yet he was still pressing on. He was still pressing on for Jesus. And that's what we get with Paul in the Philippians. And throughout his life is that he suffered greatly um, and in so many ways. And yet his focus was always, always on Jesus. And so this morning I want to touch on three things. And I'm, I'm grateful that, Denise, you read a very long passage. And I just want to draw out three things from this passage, really. All beginning with P. Um, so I hope that it Take, it helps us take these away. Um, but the first thing I want to say is that when Paul opens these letters, in, in the majority of these letters, he says, I'm writing this to all of God's holy people. Or I'm writing to God's, all of God's chosen people. Um, and in this case, the original text says, I'm writing to God's saints. Writing to God's saints. And he's not writing to a group of like Saint Tree, you know, he's not writing to them, he's writing to Christians. Because what Paul wants Christians to understand is that when they become Christians, they become saints. Saints. And it doesn't matter how you feel this morning, but if you are a follower of Jesus, you are saints. Well, you might feel more like a sinner, but you're a saint. You are a saint. That is your, your position in Christ. You're, you're a child of God. You are a saint. And you've been with the blood of Jesus. And so when Paul writes these letters, he wants the people to grasp who they are in Jesus. And, and part of that is reminding them who they are so that they can take courage and they can take, um, they can feel joy that actually, yeah, you know what? I'm being persecuted. I'm going through a hard time, but this is who God says I am. And so that's what Paul wants to remind his the people that he's writing these letters to, that remember who you are in Jesus. Remember what Jesus has done for you and how you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And now you're saints, your children, your children of another kingdom. That is the kingdom of God. And so we get into this letter of Philippians. And what's Paul's first concern the first concern that he has is to encourage the believers is to encourage the believers 
And he starts off by saying, look, I thank God for you. I thank God for you every time I think of you. I'm, I'm praying with joy. I'm praying with joy. And so these people are so much on Paul's heart. And he's saying, I love you guys. I love you. And you know what? There were so many problems in the church, in all the churches that Paul set up and planted. There was arguments and divisions and strife and all sorts of stuff. And, but Paul said, you know what? I love these people. And I'm going to encourage them by saying so many good things. And Paul starts off by saying, thank you for standing with me in my own difficulties. And that's one of the first things that Paul says to these group of Christians in Philippi, that you stood with me when the going got tough. And this is the first P in that in Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer. And his passion comes out for God's people. And he's, he's praying with joy. He's lifting his heart up and saying, thank you, God. And he's recalling all the good things about God's people, all the good things about the church and all that they've done in supporting him. And when he thinks of those things, it brings him great joy. But then he has a request. And this is where we see what Paul's prayer is. You see, Paul's prayer is that the love would flourish. So there's a key theme, Philippians. It's a letter of encouragement and affirmation. Paul calls on the church to pursue and fight for unity and deeper love for each other. And that's what Paul's doing in this very first chapter. Or a lot of the other books, Paul addresses the, the, the wrong behaviours in the church and the doctrine and the theological issues. But this letter is, is a letter of joy and encouragement. But he also recognising that if the church is going to stand firm, then the church must learn to fight for unity and grow in a deeper, richer love for one another. And Paul says, this is my prayer, that your love will flourish. And this is in the words, verse 9 of the message, your love will flourish. And that you'll not only love much, but well. Learn to love appropriately. Live a lover's life. A life that Jesus will be proud of. Making Jesus Christ attractive to all. And, and it's Jesus. He gives that command to love. The world will know by the love that you have for each other that you are my disciples. You are my disciples and that is the greatest challenge and it always has been and it always will be because when we read the letters of Paul we read that there are so many things that seem to come against people loving each other there were people becoming Christians and coming into the church that were from different backgrounds different um, traditions who followed different laws and all of a sudden, you've got these bunch of people, these strangers almost, and they're all believing different things because they've all come from different experiences and backgrounds. And that's what the church is, isn't it? It's made up of a group of people that might not necessarily hang around with each other, but all of a sudden, it's God who puts us together, and we're commanded to love and figure it out and to work this out so that the world will know 
who Jesus is. And they will see us living such attractive lives. But it's not easy, friends. It's not easy. And as Paul writes in his other letters, there are so many things that can come and be divisive and cause disunity. But Paul says we must pursue love. We must pursue love at any cost. And that's still what the church needs to do today. To love. To love. Keep growing in your love. Making Jesus Christ attractive to all. And I think one of the challenges is is that we we all have our own understandings and we all come from different viewpoints or experiences in life. And the greatest need for us is to seek to understand or learn to understand. And that's what I think we need to grasp. What, what God is saying is that we need to learn to, to, to love, to seek to understand each other, to, to appreciate each other, to value each other and to seek the best for each other. And that comes through Paul's words here. Learn to love appropriately. Paul's heart is so strong for the church. He says, sometimes I think I feel as strongly about you as Jesus does. It was such a burden for Paul. Paul really felt things. And he was saying, pursue love. Pursue Jesus. And that is, friends, the first P for us to think about. It's Paul's prayer. It's the prayer that is rooted in the teachings of Christ to love one another. And what Paul would often say in the letters, in other places, in other letters, he would say, look, I have learned to die daily. I have learned to die to myself daily so that Christ may come alive in me. And so there was every day Paul had to learn to say, it's Jesus's way, not my way. And that was painful for Paul. And it is for any Christian. It's that attitude of humility and, and surrendering and saying, it's the Jesus way. The Jesus way. So the first P is, is Paul's prayer. And that was the prayer for the church that he had, that we would love one another and that love would grow and that it wouldn't be just a love that we say we do but we act out that love as we go through this chapter we discover that actually Paul suffered greatly but you know what he didn't do he didn't wallow in his suffering because when we get into verse 12, we read the fact that Paul is in prison. And that's where he writes a lot of his letters from. And what we never, ever see with Paul, we never see someone complaining. We never see someone moaning, and groaning and complaining about their situation, their circumstances. He saw the place where God put him as an opportunity, not as an obstacle. He saw prison as a platform to get Jesus out 
Because that's what it says in the, in, in the message here, that they tried to shut me up in prison, but instead they gave me a platform. And what happens was, because he was in prison, the prison guards found out about the reason why he was in prison. And he said, look, I preach Jesus. That's the reason why I'm here. He hadn't broken any laws, but he'd preached Jesus. And he was still doing that from prison. You see, he saw, that, he saw prison as a platform. He's like, how can I best make Jesus known here? And it's the same for us, isn't it? Wherever God has placed us in our schools, workplaces, wherever we go, wherever, whatever we're doing, the question we always have to ask ourselves is, how can I best make Jesus known in this place? How can I best make Jesus known? Perhaps it's through the words of encouragement or affirming others in their roles. Whatever it might be, God has placed you there for a reason. And he has you there for a specific purpose. How can I be Jesus in this place? Wherever God has us, he has us for a reason. And we might think, oh, I can't do much here, or I can't really. But where God has you, he has you for a reason. Whatever job or situation or whichever position you are in life, he has you there. Whether Even if it's making calls or messages to somebody, that's where God has you, and that's where God is using you. And Paul saw that with prison. He didn't see the prison not squelching the message. He saw it as an opportunity to get the message out, and... What's incredible with Paul is that because of his boldness, the other believers got boldness and courage from Paul because they looked at Paul and said, well, if he can do that in prison, if he can talk about Jesus there, I can do it here. And Paul says that that's the effect it had on the church, that because Paul was like, you know what, I'll keep talking about Jesus every day that I live, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I'll keep talking about him. It impacted on the church. It created like this, this ripple effect where the, the, the rest of the church went, oh, hang on, maybe it isn't so hard after all. And they started to become bold and courageous. And they started going, actually, we can do this too. We can do this too. Because of the example of one man, one man Paul. And what I love about Paul's life is that so often we think of glass half full or is a glass half empty. You know, what's your perspective on life? Well, Paul didn't have a glass half full life. He had a glass that was overflowing all the time. He, you know, he was never, he, he was always exalting Jesus, no matter what the circumstance or situation. It was always, always Jesus. And it's incredible to read because there's so many times where we could read it and go, oh, well, gosh, you know, what a terrible situation. But he always viewed his situations through the perspective of Jesus and eternity. And that was his focus. So whatever was going on around him, he was like, I don't, I don't care, really. I care more about Jesus. This point, the second P is the platform that Paul had. Prison became his pulpit, and you've got a platform, however you're, wherever you are, that you're living out your faith. That's where God has you, and he has you there for a reason. One of the things that 
was going on when Paul was ministering is that there was groups of people that didn't like Paul at all. There was like people that were just anti-Paul, anti-Paul's teaching, anti-Paul's life, and were constantly criticising him. And when he was in prison, people probably thought, oh, well, he's not coming out. I can, I can uh, preach how I want, say what I want. And, and what Paul said about them, about these people, he just said, look, I don't care. That's what he says. He says, I don't care about their I don't care about their motives. All I care is that Jesus is getting talked about. And I and I just love that because so often we could say, Oh well, you know, that person, or you know, but Paul says, I, don't, I ain't bothered by it. That's it, that's his response. Because he says, as long as Jesus Christ is being talked about, I'm not bothered about people's motives. And you read that and you think that's quite flippant. You're like, what what you know, but it's true. That's what he says. He says, I don't care. I don't care. Because what matters and who matters most is Jesus. Paul was so full of expectation. He had such a high expectation that God would use him and that God would do what he said that he was going to do. That Paul just lived it. And he lived this sort of like... Um, so full of excitement and anticipation and expectation because he knew the power of God and the forgiveness of God and the grace of God and the love of God. Because before he became a Christian, he persecuted Christians. He hunted them down to put them in prison and to kill them. And so he knew God's grace in such a profound way. If God could take his life and turn it around, he could take anyone's life and turn so, so he had such a high expectation. And... That's how Paul lived, constantly. Constantly, that's how he lived. He was always up here in his expectation of what God could do. Always full of hope, always trusting, always expectant, always believing, even when things seem to be going wrong. So Paul saw his struggles as an opportunity to make Christ known. The final is that Paul was passionate. So we've had the Paul's prayer that he prayed for the Philippian Christians, the Christians at Philippi. We've had the platform that Paul had, that prison gave him, and it produced wonderful results with other people becoming bold, seeing our difficulties through the lens of eternity, but then Paul's passion. And that's what he wants everybody to understand. And he says that, for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, look, I win. I win either way. If I die, I get Jesus. If I live, I get Jesus. Paul knew that intimate, life-changing love and power of God. And he said, it doesn't matter what happens to me in this life. It does not matter. I can't lose. I can't lose. What Paul encourages the church to do is to keep loving and to keep Jesus at the centre of all things to love at all costs to 
fight for each other, to fight for unity, and to love and to go deeper in our love for Jesus and for each other. At the beginning of the Philippians, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message, gives an overview of the book. And he says that what Paul tells us is that having the revelation of Jesus, Jesus shows us that God cannot be contained. Jesus shows us that God cannot be contained. That's what Eugene Peterson says. And I think that's really powerful, isn't it? Because Paul certainly lived a life where he didn't try and contain or restrict or restrain the power of God, the way that the Holy Spirit worked in his life, the way that the Holy Spirit used him. Paul didn't try and dampen it down or he didn't try and um, repress um, the love and the joy that he had for Jesus because it was coming from a man who had known total forgiveness and total grace and total love when Paul deserved everything but those things from Jesus. And so at the beginning of this series, I believe that God's heart is that he wants us to refocus our, our affections onto Jesus and coming back to the fact that only Jesus matters, that actually in the grand scheme of eternity and with everything that goes on in our lives and in the world, the one constant that doesn't change is the love of Jesus and the grace of God. And when everything else perhaps looks like it's going wrong and all falling apart, the love of Jesus remains. So those three things again then, Paul's prayer for the church, that he wanted to encourage them, but that prayer that he prayed was a prayer that, his peop- that God's people would love and would continue to love continue to love. And then Paul's platform, that was the second P, Paul's platform. He went to prison, but he saw it as an opportunity, not as a obstacle to him sharing his faith. And because of him, the, other, the rest of the church became bold. They, they got that fire, whatever you want to call it. They got that passion too. And then the passion. There's things in in life that come against us. We might, when we become Christians, we might have a passion for God. And then sometimes what happens in life is that things seem to overwhelm us and overtake us and just, oh, it just becomes so tiring. And perhaps what God is saying is that he wants to rekindle that passion in us because Paul certainly never lost that. He never lost that passion. When you think about all the sufferings and the beatings and the criticisms and the putting in jail and the divisions and the disunity, that's enough to make any person be like, you know what, forget it. But Paul was still passionate all the way through his life. And in the end, he lost his life because he followed Jesus. But Paul was a passionate man, and he, he, didn't, you know, he didn't offer any apologies for that. Because the love of God had touched him so deeply and profoundly. And that's one of the things about Philippians is that you see 
his heart for people, his heart for Jesus, and his longing for the church to be a church of love and unity, but to pursue the love of God and to allow God to change us together. Because at the end of the day, it's only Jesus that matters. So why don't we pray as we, uh, before we come to a time of worship. Father, we just thank you for this man, Paul. Um, Lord, we just look at his life and we just see and read of his passion for you, his his love for you, his, his um, enthusiasm. And yet, Lord, it's because that he loved you so much and he knew you at such a deep and intimate level that he was willing to endure anything and everything for Jesus. And this is a man who lived in the, in the light of knowing that he was completely forgiven and he was accepted and loved um, by Jesus. And Father, you know where we sit this morning, um, whether we feel perhaps weary or drained or tired or we don't have that passion that Paul has. Maybe we've lost it over the years or circumstances take over. Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would reignite a passion in our hearts for Jesus, that we would re- regain our first love um, that if we've overcomplicated things, Lord, that we would come back to the simple reality that you love us. Lord, we just think of um, yeah, what Jesus went through for us so that we can be free. And I pray that you would um, release us into a greater freedom and a, and a new joy in Jesus. And as we go through this series, Lord, I pray that we would continue to listen to you that we might be conformed into the image of Jesus, that we might be changed and brought closer to Jesus as a result. And so, Father, we thank you for your love, and we thank you that we don't do this alone. We do it with others, and we do it in the power of the Spirit. And so thank you, Lord. Amen. We're going to have a couple of songs of worship Um, And then Michelle's going to close. But if you'd like to receive prayer, you're going through a tough time and maybe you don't even feel close to God. Um, We all go through seasons when we sort of go through those seasons where it's tiring and life is hard and we just need to pray for each other and encourage one another on the journey, just like Paul did to the Christians at at Philippi. So why don't we, um, yeah, I'd encourage you to receive prayer if you like it at the end. Feel free to sit or stand as we worship um, together now.